0: Let's pray this morning. Oh, Father, we are awestruck by your majesty, by your glory, and by your incredible, passionate grace. That you have such great desires for our life, such great purposes for us to achieve. And when we fail, when we fall way short. Nevertheless, your passionate grace is always there to lift us up, to restore us, to free us so that once again we can try. Once again, we can move forward in life confident in you. Once again, we can trust you no matter what. Lord, we just come before you this day and we are in awe of your majesty and your grace and your goodness. So shower upon us your strength Give to us your freedom and embolden us with a witness in praise of you. We ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you go ahead and have a seat this morning? Well, we are uh, in summer and, uh, geez, I can tell by the empty chairs. Uh, we are in summer and... Uh, so we're in a passionate summer uh, series and uh, remember what we're doing is we're looking at uh, psalms and uh, it's just some of the more passionate psalms that were written by real people expressing that real passion in their lives uh, and so they're real psalms, right? And so today we are going to look at Psalm 51. So if you look at your handout this morning, you need to grab your pen and write on there Psalm 51 because uh, the guy that put together, that would be me, forgot to put on there Psalm 51. So when you get home and you're wondering, what what was that again? It's Psalm 51, right? So Psalm 51. And uh, Psalm 51 is just filled with uh, incredible uh, passion. Uh, And it's it's, uh, one that can inform us not only about the passion that God has for us, but equally also the anguish that we can experience in life. And it comes from Uh, the experience of King David. And in order to understand the psalm, you need to understand uh, what's been going on in David's life. And so you can also write down on your your handout there uh, 2 Samuel 11, because in 2 Samuel 11, you get the experience that leads to uh, David's finally penning uh, this psalm of passion. The experience of David... Uh, is this this great king who was, uh, you know, not only king of Israel? Remember, this is the guy when he was young who stood up for the Lord over and against Goliath, right? Uh, this is the same guy that when the Ark of the Covenant came to Jerusalem, you know, he was out there dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, this is the same guy that Scripture says had a tremendous heart for the Lord. And yet, when we go into Second Samuel 11, we see what can happen to any of us and what happens to David David gets captured by the power of sin in his life and it starts out in a simple way it starts out in the evening he got up from his bed couldn't sleep got up so he walks around on the roof of his palace and from the roof he saw a woman taking a bath and she was gorgeous David sent a messenger to find out who she was. The messenger returned and said she is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Elam. Now notice this. She is the wife of Uriah. He's a Hittite. What did David just learn about this incredible, beautiful girl taking a bath? Well, where she came from, right? What her family is. But also, notice it's very clear, David was informed and knew she was the wife of Uriah, this is a married woman. Now notice what happens next. Then David sent the messengers to get her. She came to him. He had sex with her. Then she went back home. That's the biblical equivalent of a one-night stand. Okay? What did he just do? He got captured by his own selfish desires for a babe he saw on a roof and said, God, have it. Sin capture his life. And you say, "Well, oh, it's just a one-time deal." No, you got to understand. This is what happens when sin starts creeping in and capturing your life. For David, it's the one-time experience. He sees her. He has to give in to his selfish desires, and so he does. It's a one-night stand. He sends her home. But what happens next? Later. Bathsheba found out she was. Oops! You see how sin works? It starts out when you're convincing yourself, well, you know, just this one time. Just one little mistake. But then it leads to something else. He starts out with adultery. He knew she was married. He starts out with adultery. Now it leads to deceit. She's pregnant. What's he going to do? So what does David do? Well, if you read the text, what David does, he comes up with a great scheme. He knows that Uriah, her husband, is serving in his army. So he says, listen, give Uriah a furlough. Let's get the guy home. And of course, when he comes home from battle, he will want to spend time with his wife in an intimate way. And ultimately then, when the baby is born, everybody will say... Uriah must be the father. And it's all covered up. Deceit. Only one problem. Uriah is a faithful guy. Uriah comes home and and he has dinner with the king and he reports on how things are going at the front. But he is a devoted soldier. And devoted soldiers in David's day, they would let nothing sap their energy. All of their service and devotion and their energy and their strength was devoted to be in defense of the nation and the king. So when Uriah came home, he didn't go spend time with his wife. He didn't want anything to sap his strength. No intimacy took place. Hence, nobody could say, obviously, Uriah is the dead. David is captured one more time. He goes from adultery to deceit. Next is murder. His first solution doesn't work, so he has to go to plan B. Plan B becomes even more terrible than plan A. I mean, it was adultery and deceit. Now we're moving on. Now we're getting deeper. Now it's getting thicker. He comes up with a great plan. He sends a note back to the general. Ironically, Uriah carries the note. He says, listen, put Uriah on the front lines. That's where the fighting is the heaviest. Then pull your men back from him. When you do, the Amorites will strike him down and kill him. Solution? Just get rid of the guy. Get rid of Uriah. He devises a plot. And he becomes a murderer. Do you see how sin works? We went from a one-night stand to deceit, now to murder. So Uriah is killed. And David now is still king. Bathsheba mourns and sobs over the death of Uriah. But when her time of sadness was over, when everything looked fine on the outside, David had her brought to his house, she became his wife, and she had a son by him. Look at the last sentence. But the Lord wasn't pleased with what David had done. He goes from a one-night stand to murder and ultimately the worst offense. He is supposed to be the prince of Israel. He is supposed to be God's representative of He is supposed to be the one who stands up and says, This is God's desire. He is supposed to be the one who stands before the nation of Israel and takes care of every person because God has given him that charge, that responsibility, and the blessings that come with it. And David has misused his position and he has misused God for his own selfish purposes. You see, this is what happens when the power of sin creeps in and takes over. And now we get to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 happens when David is confronted by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet confronts him with his sin. And it's the cat's out of the bag. And David now has to face it. He can't cover it up. He can't hide it anymore. It's all out in front of him. And in Psalm 51, we get David's passion. Passion for his sin and passion for God's grace. It goes like this. In the psalm, David gives us insight into the power of sin and what it does in our lives, what it does underneath, right? So far as we've unfolded the story, all we've looked at is the surface stuff of his actions. In the psalm, In the psalm, we get to experience what's going on inside David. What's going on underneath, while all looks fine to everybody else on the outside, what's going on in his heart? What's going on in his soul? What's going on in his spirit? And right away in the psalm, we see that David comes to the place in his life where he looks at everything, and the whole time he has felt the power of sin, and he just feels dirty. He just feels dirty. He feels unclean. Look at 2, 7, and 10. It says, Wash away all the evil things I've done. Make me pure. Please, make me pure from my sin. Make me pure by sprinkling me with hyssop plant, then I'll be clean. Wash me, then I'll be whiter than so. God, create a pure heart within me. You see, what does he want? He wants to get clean. You see, all this time, remember... This all started with a one-night stand, and the result was a baby that was born presumably nine months later. So David has been living with his sin for all this time. And underneath, what's been happening? Sin has been eating at him. It's been sticking to him. And the whole time he's felt unclean. It's like when you you get mud on your shoe. I, I pulled up this morning and I parked and I got out of my car and there was a bare spot, you know, where I parked. And amazingly, I stepped in the bare spot, and it was it was muddy. You know, I noticed, I still got mud in the group. I mean, I went to the grass, and I tried to wipe it all off. You know how you do that, right? I mean, I still got mud in my shoes. Look at this. I still got mud stuck on the bottom of my pants. Isn't that the way sin is? I mean, it just sticks to you. I mean, you try to cover it up. You try to wash it off on your own, but you, you just can't do it. It just It just sticks to you. And that's what's going on with David. He's been captured by this for all this time and underneath the surface. It's just been sticking to him and he's felt dirty. That's what sin does. It just sticks to us. makes us feel dirty and it creates this constant uh, pain in our lives and anguish in our lives. David says, "I, I know it. I know the lawless acts I've committed, but what? I can't forget my sin. I can't get it off of me. I can't get it out of my head. I can't get it out of my spirit. It's just always there. It's always nagging at me. I just can't get it off me. That's what sin does. It just sticks to us and it it keeps pressuring on us and it keeps giving us anguish and it weighs us down. David says, let me hear you say, your sins are forgiven. That will bring me joy and gladness. Why? Because he hasn't had it. He hasn't had it. Joy and gladness? No, he's been he's been weighed down by, by what's been happening in his life. That's what sin does. It weighs us down and oppresses against us. And it's just always there pushing at us. David understands the power that's working and it's been working in his life. And he even feels it in his body. I mean, physically, he even feels the anguish of what's going on in his body. He says, let the body you have broken be glad. He is physically aware of the sin going on in his life. See what it does? See, this is passion, isn't it? He's pouring out the reality for us when we get captured by that same power in our life. And it leads us to the spirit that is negative and contrary in our life. He says, God, man, create a pure heart in me. Give me a new spirit that's faithful to you. Because the one I'm in right now, the one I'm in right now is captured by my own selfishness. The one I'm in right now just thinks about me. The one I'm in right now is just leading me into destruction. God, you see what sin does? And ultimately, he understands the worst of the power of sin. That sin makes us feel and act and think like God is not even present in our lives. He says, don't send me away from you. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. See, God hasn't changed in his desire for David. God God hasn't changed his attitude in what he sees in in what David's life ought to be and can be and should be under his power and rule and reign. God hasn't changed. God hasn't moved away from David. David has moved away from God to the point that David can't even see how God is working in his life. David can't even sense the the power of God being unleashed in his life every day. David can't have an awareness that God is still there, God is still working, God is still active, God still has a purpose, and God still has a reason and a desire over his life. He feels abandoned. This is the power of sin. And so Jesus would be on the cross bearing the weight of sin and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David gives us the passion of what it is to understand the power of what sin can do in our life. And ultimately, he makes us so aware. That sin destroys the possibility for us to make a witness. I mean, we know this is true, right? I mean, the, the people look at it and say, "Well, Christians, what? How can they talk to me about Christ when look at what's going on in their life? How, how can they make a witness? How can they tell me about how great God is when when look how sinful they are?" And that's what David's saying. He's saying, "Listen, you, you are the God who saves me. I committed murder. You take take away my guilt. Why?" Then my tongue is going to sing about how right you are no matter what you do. Lord, open up my lips because they've been closed. I can't talk about you because I'm captured by this, by this sin. Lord, open up my lips so then I can speak. Then my mouth will praise you. You see, when we get captured in that sin stuff, it destroys our witness. And we become all about us and not about him. Where does that leave David? For David, it is the understanding in this moment in his life when he's confronted with Nathan to be able to let go of everything about himself and instead to just trust God's passionate grace because of who God is. This is so neat in the psalm. He goes from just pouring out all about himself and all about his mistakes and all about his failures to just coming to that place in his life where he says, listen, my only hope is who God is. And because God is a passionate God of grace. God, show me your favor in keeping with your faithful love. God, show me your favor because this is who you are. Not, not because of who I am, not because I deserve it, not because of me God, show me your favor because it's in keeping with exactly who you are. Because your love is so tender and kind, wipe out my lawless acts. God, because of who you are, because of your passionate grace. You see, David has come to that place in his life where all he can do is say, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to trust God because I can't do anything about it anymore. I am broken. And when you trust God's passionate grace, it begins to free you so that you can step up. You can look at your life. David steps up and, and he looks at his life and he takes responsibility for everything that he's done before God. He's not playing the excuse game. He's not saying, well, it's because this person did that. I wouldn't have done that if she hadn't been on the on the rooftop. I mean, what in the world is she taking a bath on the rooftop for anyway? I mean, if she hadn't been there, I wouldn't have those thoughts and those feelings, and I wouldn't you know how that goes, right? I mean, he's not going down that path of trying to blame somebody else or make excuses about it. He is ready to just trust God no matter what, and God's passionate grace and say. God, you got to be enough because I messed up. God, you got to be enough because I can't do it. And I failed. He says, I know. I know the lawless acts I've committed. You're the only one I've really sinned against. I've done what's evil in your sight. So you're right, God. You are right when you sentence me. You are fair when you judge me. See where he's at? He is ready to to receive God's passionate grace because he is ready to own up. He's ready to own up and say, God, I failed. I failed. But you never fail. Your passionate grace never fails. And and when he's able to do that, he's able to receive that passionate grace and all the freedom that comes from making that surrender. When he just makes that surrender... Then, then he can just trust God's passionate grace no matter what. He says, you don't take delight in sacrifice. If you did, I, I'd bring it. You, you don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. The greatest sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, God. You will gladly accept a heart that is broken because of sadness over sin. You see how his surrender happens? And when his surrender happens, can't, can't you just feel the weight Everything that we talked about before about what sin was doing in his life, can't can't you just feel all of that just kind of being lifted away? David is ready to understand God's passionate grace, and when he does, when he own up, owns up, goes up to it, and he just trusts God no matter what, he gets the freedom that only Christ can give, the freedom that only God can bring, and because of that, the next thing that happens to him, because of that. David now sees the possibilities of being able to move forward. I mean, before, remember, he was just weighed down, captured in the sin, it was stuck on him. Now he can look at life and say, because of God's passionate grace, I've got an opportunity. Because of passionate grace, God, give me back the joy that comes from being saved from you. I can have joy again. God, give me a spirit that obeys you. I don't have to do it for myself anymore. I can be all about God again that you'll keep me going forward and keep me moving ahead. Then then I'm going to witness, I'm going to teach about your ways, I'm going to be bold about telling other people, and sinners will turn back to you. Do you see the shift he just made? He went from just being passionate about God's grace, receiving God's passionate grace, to being passionate about God again. What's it tell us? There's some of you in a room today that are in the first place where David was. That sin is just weighing you down. It's got you captured. And, and you're living the life that you know is just contrary to what God wants. And he's inviting you today receive God's passionate grace. Receive God's passionate grace because God is passionate about you and He wants you to just trust Him no matter what. That's that's what our kids learned all week, right? Those that were volunteering in there, I mean, that's what they learned all week, right? Just, Just trust God. No matter what, no matter who you are today, no matter where your life is today, no matter how much sin has got a power and control in your life, no matter what's going on in your life, just trust God's compassionate grace no matter what. No, No matter how you feel at this moment, no matter how much you are weighed down by it, no matter how you feel about yesterday, just trust God's compassionate grace. Trust God more. No matter what people do or what people have done, no matter what people say, no matter what people think, no matter what fingers they point, just trust God's compassionate grace. And no matter what has happened, I mean, what David did, adultery, deceit, murder, heavy stuff. And yet I got to tell you, I've been in the same place. I've betrayed God. I've murdered Christ. I've deceived and forgotten all the purposes of what God could do in my life for my own selfish reasons. And yet, every day, God gives me the opportunity to just trust His compassionate grace. No matter what. And no matter where I am, the invitation is always there. And if I trust that grace, life can get passionate again. It can get passionate again. No matter who you are, no matter where you are today, when you come to the altar to receive Christ in that gift of bread and wine, it is the chance for you to say, I'm giving up. I'm surrendering. I am surrendering absolutely everything I am, and I'm giving up all of my failures. And I'm going to just trust compassionately. I'm going to trust passionately. I'm going to trust God's passionate grace. And I'm going to be free to live a new life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We are overwhelmed. Not only by your passionate grace. But we know the power of sin. We know how heavy it can be and how it sticks to us. We know it all because we've all been there. And today we just want to surrender everything to you. We want our lives to be all about you. We want our, our tongues to be free once again to proclaim how mighty and glorious and how passionate you are in your grace for us. Father, I just pray this morning that this would be that kind of moment, that it would be the moment where people can get set free from what's been in their life and get passionate about what God can do in their life. So, Lord, we commit this day, this time, this hour, and we commit this moment to you as we surrender ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen.